Amen. Hey, I just want to say on behalf of everyone who's talks in front of you guys this morning, we are all sorry that none of us have our normal voices. Uh, in case you guys didn't know, there was a little football game that happened last night. Um, in fact, there's something magical that happens every uh, fall here in Tallahassee, and it's called winning. Um, we do it really well, apparently. In fact, here's, here's what you might not know about DCC. Um, we don't know that correlation means causation, but hey, it might. Um, since we started a morning service, actually about two and a half years ago, Florida State hasn't lost a regular season game. So even if, yeah... So you can just tell the football team they're welcome. I know they do some hard work and everything, but hey, we pray. Um, but we just want to say, man, it was, it was phenomenal. We love Jesus and we love Dalvin. Um, in fact, if many of you guys were at the game last night and it was just phenomenal, I, 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 was, I was there. I was very excited about it. In fact, it's one of those games that you leave. Um, and for me, like I had a ride home, um, but I chose not to take that ride home. And it was about a 45-minute hour walk to my house. And I'm like, you know what? Victory walk, baby, you know? I'm just like hiking up hills like any other situation in life. I'm like, are you kidding me? Walking for an hour? That's like, you know needles in my forehead. I don't know. That just sounds terrible. But hey, after a win, we just do silly stuff. So we're glad that either way, we're glad you made it to church. We know many of you guys got home late. Uh, you got, didn't get much sleep, but, but you're back and, and you're here. And we're just excited to have you here. Um, to let you know about where we are right now, we are going through a series on, on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and essentially, the Sermon on the Mount is an incredible oration that Jesus gave. If you know much about Jesus, um, or even honestly, if you don't know much about Jesus, Jesus is notorious for being a great teacher. Um, people from all walks of life, People from all belief systems, ideologies, worldviews, I mean, everyone, you know, not, not everyone, but most people have a high ideal of Jesus, even if they don't believe that he's the Son of God. Because when Jesus walked around, he talked, and he spoke to a culture that was just, you know, it was so transformative that it, in fact, influenced our world and how we live and the things that we value today. And specifically, when Jesus talked, there was one sermon that he gave, or there was really multiple sermons that he gave. There's one sermon that he probably gave over and over, over multiple um, different times and multiple different places. And the most uh, well recorded that we have of it is what's called the Sermon on the Mount. This guy named Matthew recounted and kind of wrote down everything that Jesus talked about when he gave on the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus gives this incredible oration. Now, a couple of things you need to know. Number one is when Jesus taught, when Jesus taught, he didn't teach like I teach, honestly, and sometimes I feel like maybe I should, but Jesus, here, here, here's the interesting thing about Jesus. When Jesus taught, there was an incredible lack of clarity. When Jesus taught, he, in fact, we're going to get to one of those pieces this morning. When Jesus taught, he would just say something. He'd be like saying some things that were some pretty good advice, and we'd all be tracking along. And then he would just say something out of left field, and everybody's like, what? You know, and then, but then he'd go back, and it wasn't at the end of the sermon, okay, you know, text in for a question, or, you know, you can talk to him outside in the lobby. He'd just be like, all right, I'm out. People who have ears, let them hear. Okay, everybody has ears, so good luck. You know, that was kind of Jesus' basic sermon. But when Jesus spoke, when Jesus spoke, the words that he said, the words that he said had so much gravity, had so much influence, that what took him about 12 minutes to say, maybe 15 minutes to say, it's taken us about six weeks to work verse by verse through to really come to some understanding and some application for the things that Jesus said. Now, here, here, here's what's important. When Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, perhaps you've you know, heard of that title before. And when I was growing up and honestly on into you know, a good ways that I was a Christian, when I thought about the Sermon on the Mount, I thought, here's what the Sermon on the Mount was. Jesus saw this massive group of people and thought, there's no way just in a normal setting that I can you know, speak to all these people. So Jesus like went on top of a mountain and everybody was down below him. And Jesus, like in this very like projectile Jesus-y voice, was like, people, you know. And all of a sudden, everybody down the mountain was like, oh my gosh, you know. That's, that, that, what's interesting is that's not how it goes at all. 
In Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, Jesus, Jesus sees this massive crowd. He sees all these people that have shown up. All these people that have shown up for a variety of different reasons. Some because they heard he was a great teacher. Some because they were being healed. Some because they heard everywhere he went, he was feeding people. And so they just wanted to get some food. But for whatever reason, this massive group of people is there to see and to talk to and spend time with Jesus. And Jesus seeing this huge crowd, instead of addressing the crowd, he walks up on this hill or this mountain and sits down and doesn't give this to the masses, but gives this to specifically his disciples. Now, here's why that's relevant. Here's why that's important. Because when Jesus talked to his disciples, his disciples were the people, his disciples were the people who believed that he was the son of the living God and beyond that had decided that they were going to follow all of his teachings. You see, a disciple back then, they had a kind of this thing called rabbinical Judaism where essentially you had a rabbi, you had a teacher and it was your goal to hear everything that your rabbi or that your teacher said and you wanted to be exactly like him when he taught and when he lived and the things that he did. And so these are the people who looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, we don't believe you're just some guy. We don't believe that you're just a good teacher. We believe that the Old Testament prophets, all the Jeremiah's, all the Isaiah's, all the Ezekiel's, all those people in the Old Testament prophesied about a coming Messiah, a coming Messiah, a coming Messiah. And we believe that you are the Messiah. In fact, many of you guys, you don't you know, we don't talk in terms of Messiah anymore, but if you would use the word Christ, Jesus Christ, Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. And so everybody believed that Jesus was the Christ, believed that he was the fulfillment, and that they wanted to live their lives patterned around him, which means, which means, which means, when Jesus gave this sermon, he gave it to the people who believed he was the Son of God. And he gave it to the people who wanted to follow him and wanted to be like him with their entire life. He gave the sermon to the Jesus followers. And here again, here's why that's important. Because we know every time we gather together, every time we gather together, there's a ton of different people. All of you from different places in your walks of life. All of you are in different places in terms of your spiritual life. Some of you, you know, you walked in here. You've been to church a hundred times before, maybe a thousand times before. And you're a disciple. By the way, going to church a hundred thousand times you know, doesn't really make you a disciple. But you've just been walking faithfully with God for a long time. And for some of you, when you walked in, you're kind of on the fence. You're on the periphery. You're unsure about whether you believe in God. You're unsure about whether you believe in Jesus. You're unsure if the Bible has any authority or honestly has any relevance to your life. And here's the good news. If you're in here and you're a Christian, you are a disciple of Jesus, then this morning is for you specifically. This morning is for you specifically. In fact, we're going to talk about some stuff that you've felt with and you've dealt with and you've struggled with. But here's the good news. If you're here and you just kind of showed up and somebody invited you, you're not sure if you're in the whole you know, Bible you know, idea of life, then here's the good news for you. You can take and you can listen and you can apply whatever you want to. It's going to be great advice. But you don't have to. You're not going to be held accountable to. That is to say, you don't have to walk out of here and do all that stuff. You should walk out with the person that invited you and say, hey, you really should do that because you suck at that. So step your game up. Now, when Jesus spoke, when Jesus spoke specifically this morning, and I, I love this subject, this is, this is, I think, such a relevant subject, this is something we've all dealt with. When Jesus talked, when Jesus talked, what well, he's going to talk about in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1, he talked about something that we've all dealt with, especially as Christians, and here's what he's going to talk about, judging people, judging people. Now, there is very few subjects that elicit so much tension 
within Christians. And here's why. Because so much of what we hear is don't judge. Don't judge. Don't judge. Don't judge. Don't judge. And so you don't want to be a judgmental person, but from time to time, you see people who you love, you see people who you care about that are making terrible decisions with their life. And not even in like a you know, moral superiority type way, but you just see a friend. You see maybe your roommate. Perhaps you see your husband or your wife, or you see somebody else's husband or your wife that you work with. And you see some decisions that they're starting to make. Someone that you're in community with, someone that you're in relationship with. And you see them start to make decisions, and you have this kind of internal pull of whether you should say something or whether you should say something, shouldn't say something. And if you do say something, what should you say? And if you do say something, what, you should, what should you say? But when should you say it? And there's just all these ideas, but on the other side of it, you don't want to be a judging type of person because, come on, everybody in the church is notorious for being a bunch of judgers. And again, we don't, you know, you don't see that in the mirror. I don't look at myself in the mirror and wake up and be like, man, I am so judgmental. But the church is notorious for being judgmental. And this is interesting tension between being condemning and being helpful. And you see somebody who maybe is doing some stuff again. You see somebody who you work with and you see them start to make decisions. I mean, this is huge, especially if you're a parent. Parents, you've seen this, where you've seen your kid make a decision, make one decision or two decisions, and that one decision or two decisions isn't that big of a deal, but you've seen in the past where that decision leads to about three or four decisions from now, and it's just bad news, bad news, bad news, and you know that if something doesn't happen, if they can continue on this path of decision-making, then they are going to go through incredible pain, incredible heartache, and they're going to go through some unnecessary suffering. But what do you say? And when do you say it? And how do you say it? And should you say it? Because, come on, doesn't the Bible say don't judge? So here's what I want to give you this morning. I want to give you, as Christians, a frame of reference that whenever you're thinking about some type of a confrontational conversation, which for the 99% of us is a difficult thing to do, for the 1% of you that's not a difficult thing to do, you're a jerk, okay? (laughs) So we're all clear. You're like, that's not tough for me. Well, it should be, okay? So pray about that. But for the 99% of us, it's difficult. And you don't know what you should say. You don't know when you should say it. You don't know how you should say it. You don't know if you, I mean, the whole thing is just so confusing. And you don't want to say something because, honestly, you know, you're afraid that if you say something, is it going to go bad? Are they even going to be receptive to it in the first place? So I want to give you a frame of reference of what Jesus said about judging people and talking to people. When you see that something's going on and you feel compelled to say something, but there's just such a lack of clarity around what and when and how to say it. And I think, especially if you're not a Christian, this is something that you're going to look at at some point today, and you're going to think, if Christians actually did that, if Christians actually followed that, if Christians actually thought like that, if Christians actually talked like that, then I would probably be a lot more open to Christianity in general. So, if you've got your Bible, you can open up to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is going going to again begin talking. He says this, this is a, this is a um, kind of famous verse, you, you've probably heard this before. Judge not, judge not. Judge not that you, that you be not judged. And this is where we love to, you know, think Tupac was quoting the Bible and he said, nobody but God can judge me, which is, okay, God will judge you, but that should terrify you. That shouldn't be like a freeing thing. It's like, anyways, another sermon. Um, 
Judge not that you not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. Now this is interesting. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. In other words, in other words, he says, starts and stops and says this. Okay, so you feel compelled. You see something going on in somebody else's life. You see something happening in somebody else's life. Here's what I want you to know. Before you think about judging that person, before you think talking about that person, before you think about having a conversation with that person, here's what I want you to take into consideration. Step one. You know, first I want you to know that when you judge, when you judge, the same amount of harshness, the same amount of criticalness that you use against them is going to be used against you. And here's, here's what I think that's, it's interesting about that. Because that applies to both God and people. That means the same way that I judge people, God's going to look at me. But more so, the same way that I look at you, you're going to look back at me. Because I can't hold you to an account, a, a, a level at this height, but be living at this height. And so Jesus stops and says, okay, so before you haul off and have a conversation, before you, you know, go deep into it and, you know, hold somebody accountable, and I've heard that this was going on, and, you know, people are telling me this, and I've, you know, seen this. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to think about how would you want someone to think about you if you were doing what they were doing? Because when I look at you, it's black and white. When I look at you, it's black and white. It's you're wrong, you're dumb, stop. You know, I've seen this, you're wrong. I've seen this, those are terrible decisions. I've seen this, stop. It's very black and white. But with me, there's worlds of gray. With me, I don't want someone to look at me and say that's wrong or that's right. I want people to take all kinds of backstory into account. I want people to take into account what happened to me yesterday. I want people to take into account how I was raised. I want people to take into account my thoughts and my tendencies and my struggles and the areas that I've gotten better and the areas that I've gotten worse in. Because when we look at other people, it's black and white. But let me, let me ask you this, especially for those of you who are in this situation right now, you and I talk about judging, when I talk about confrontational conversation, I mean, you just automatically know. You have somebody in your mind, you have somebody in your life right now that you has just been on your mind, been on your heart, and you know that you need to talk to that person as a Christian. Let me ask you this. How would you want them to think about you if you were doing what they were doing? First step. How would you want them to think about you if you were doing what they were doing. Because when anyone talks to me, I want them to take everything into account. But when I look at you, I often take one thing or two things into account. So Jesus says, let me just, let me just pause. Let me just pause and say this. Before we go forward, how would you want someone to look at you if you were doing what they were doing? What would you want that person to take into account if they were going to talk to you about what they were doing? He goes on and says this. He says, so why do you see, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. In other words, he says, hey, hey, hey. Big, big, big idea number two. Why are you so worried about taking all these specks out of all these other people's eyes when you have this gigantic log in your eye? Now, here's what's interesting, and here's what's true. If you're a Christian, not a Christian, who cares? When you see someone else doing something wrong, there's tons of stuff that you see wrong that you don't say anything about every day. 
There's tons of things that you see people do wrong. You see people make mistakes. You see people that are going to go through some unnecessary hurt and unnecessary suffering. But let me just tell you, when you see something that you feel compelled to say something, there is a very likely probability that it's because the same, it's the same thing that you deal with. Because we are always way more critical of people that make the same mistakes that we make. So Jesus stops and says, hey, 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 hey. I'm not saying there's not a speck in their eye. Many of us look at that like, yes, so we're right. There's a, there is a speck in your eye. Just, yeah. But let me ask this question. Is it possible, is it possible that the speck that you see in your friend's eye, that the speck you see in your husband's eye, the speck that you see in your wife's eye, the speck that you see in your roommate's eye, in your coworker's eye. Is it possible that what you see in their life, your heavenly Father sees in your life? And the reason that a flip switch becomes a thing is simply because that is the thing that you deal with or have dealt with, too. Because here's the reality. We're always more critical of the people who deal with our own sin. We're always more critical of the people who have the same sinful tendencies that we do. And so Jesus would say, hey, hey, hey. So before you do this, before you have a conversation, before you judge somebody, before you, you know, have the conversation, we're going to go have coffee, we're going to go have dinner, we're going to talk, I want to meet, you know, let's have a family meeting. just want you to ask yourself this. Is there something that I see in the other person that my Heavenly Father sees in me? Is there something... Is there something that my Heavenly Father sees in me that I see in that person? Because here's the interesting thing. As a Christian, God has called you to judge. It's weird. God has called you to judge. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul sees this really weird situation going on in this church. He, he's not even there. He just hears about it. In the essence of it, the way the Bible says it, it's super bible is it says, you know, I have heard it said, or something along those lines, that, you know, that a man is lying with his father's wife. And the whole church collectively goes, what? And some scholars will say, well, maybe it's probably not his father's wife. It's probably his stepmom. I'm like, that's still, weirdo, you know, get out of here. And so Paul looks at it and he says, hey, hey, and some of you guys in the church, you're not, it's not just that you're not condemning, you're almost celebrating it. And Paul looks at him and says, hey, I want you to know, I have already passed judgment. In other words, I've already judged this. Let me just tell you, he's wrong. Let me just tell you, as a church, you guys should know that this dude is wrong. And it's your job as the church to say something about it. It's your job as the church to say something about it. Because you have been called to judge. But before, before you hold anybody accountable, before you have any difficult conversations, any confrontational conversations, you ought to first, you have to, in fact, first stop and say, how would I want them to see me if they were in my situation? And is it possible that there's something that I see in them that my Heavenly Father sees in me? Because you're called to judge. You're called to hold accountable. You're called to help make holy. Because, come on, if you're a Christian, it's not a thing of moral superiority. Because the idea of judging as a Christian, the idea of accountability as a Christian, is not condemnation, it's restoration. 
It's not that you would condemn, 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 you bad person, you bad person, you bad person. It's I love you so much, and I see your life heading in a direction that you're about to go through some unnecessary pain, some unnecessary suffering, suffering some unnecessary heartache. And as a Christian, as a brother, as a sister, as someone who loves you in Christ, I feel compelled to say something because I don't want to see you go through unnecessary pain. And if I can have a conversation now that's going to be a little bit tense and a little bit difficult, I love you enough to have that conversation with you. And then Jesus says something that honestly, when you read it, this is like way out of left field. I don't know if you've ever read the Bible like this, but there's some things where like you're tracking along with what Jesus says, and it's like, what? You know, like I was tracking with you for a while. That all made sense. Then he just kind of throws this statement out of left field. So this is what he says. Chapter 7. He says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Verse 6. So do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. (laughs) Now, I don't know if you do this when you read the Bible. Maybe you're having your quiet time, and you're reading. It's like, okay, yeah, judging. I'm getting it. You know, my Heavenly Father sees in me what I see. You know, whatever, whatever. You know, then you see the part about, like, trampling things under feet and pigs and stuff like that. You're like, all right, next verse. You know, all right, so then what do you say? Ask and it will be given to you. Okay, that, that, that's good, that's good. Now, here's what's interesting, and this, this is fascinating. You'll see this over and over in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus would give, like, a piece of advice. He would give a how to live. He would give something like that. And then he would give a statement to clarify that statement, which is this statement. He would say, okay, so, you know, don't store it for your treasures on in, in earth, you know, where moths and rust destroy. And then he'd talk about the eye as the lamp of the body. And most people would be like, what in the world does that mean in our culture? But Jesus would say a statement, and he would give a qualifying piece of advice, and then he would give a universal principle that has immediate implications. Now, as to say, when Jesus is saying this, he starts and he says, okay, so don't judge, don't judge, don't judge, lest ye be judged. And I just want you to know that when you do judge, because you are called to judge, I want you to know the same harshness that you use again, they're going to use against you. But before you do that, I want you to realize that. And before you even say anything, I want you to pray and think, is there a log in my eye when I'm looking at the speck in my brother's eye? But when you talk to someone, I want you to use discernment. I don't want you to be an idiot about it. I don't want you to take this valuable piece of advice, this valuable thought, and give it to someone who doesn't hold that as value. I want you to be wise. I want you to be discerning. Now, there's one specific thing that we do as a church that is just so backwards. And not just us, but the church as a whole. Because when Paul talked in 1 Corinthians 5, he was talking about this idea. And basically the conclusion that Paul came to was this. You ought to judge the people inside the church and love the people outside the church. You ought to judge. You ought to hold accountable. You ought to hold a standard to the people inside of the church. But you ought to love, 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 grace, grace, grace. Who cares, who cares, who cares? The people outside the church. In fact, he, he kind of wraps it up in 1 Corinthians 5. You don't have to turn there, but you can write it down or text it to yourself or do whatever so you remember it. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. He's kind of ending this idea about And he says this, For what have I to do with judging the outsiders? In other words, the people outside of the church, the people who haven't given their life to Jesus. He said, Is it not the insiders of the church whom you are to judge? 
But God judges those outside. In other words, in other words church, he, 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 here's your responsibility. You're to love the outsiders, judge the insiders. Love the outsiders, judge the insiders. In church world, we get this so backwards. If you're in the church, we love you. You made a mistake. Oh, brother, come on, you know. Outside the church, you made a mistake. You are so sinful. You know, I mean, you're just an awful, I mean, how come, I mean, golly. We are terribly guilty of judging outsiders and loving insiders, judging outsiders and giving grace to insiders, judging outsiders, and we have blaring sinful issues within the church and not saying anything. And Paul says, hold on, that is backwards. You are, you are, you are to love the outsider and judge the insider. Love the outsider and hold accountable the insider. And the reason that you don't want to do that, going back to what Jesus says, is because if you're giving a pearl to a pig, not like if you're an outsider, you're a pig, but he's basically saying, hey, you're not going to value this thing that we value. I can't hold you to this system of morality, this thought of ideas, this relationship with God, if you haven't signed up for the team, because you're not going to hold that as valuable. And that's fine. My response to that is to love you, and to care about you, and not to judge you. In fact, I have a pastor I, I listen to from time to time, and he said it this way, and it's so nerdy. In fact, it's so nerdy that I feel weird. I feel like a geek saying it. So I'm going to make you guys say it too so we all just feel geeky together as we walk out the doors. But here's how he says it. Here's how he says it. Judge the believing, not the heathen. That's nerdy, isn't it? Judge the believing, not the heathen. Judge the believing, not the heathen. Or judge the believing, love the heathen. I like that a little bit better. So here's what we're going to do together. Just so I don't feel like a geek when you're walking out and you're saying, bye, pastor, that guy's, you know, weirdo. All right, so here's what we're going to all say it together. You ready? One, two, three. Judge the believing, love the... All right, all right, that was, that, was, that was okay. Let's say it like we care. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh, this is mine. Your mind just got blown by that little geeky statement, okay? So we're going to say it all on the count of three. One, two, three. Judge the believing... Man, very good. There's a lot of bass in that one. I appreciate that one, fellas. So, 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 so here's the point. Here's the point. Here's the point. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus talks and he says, okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to use discernment. I want you to be wise. Before you just haul off, before you have a conversation, I want you to use discernment. I want you to be wise about what you say, when you say it, how you say it, and who you say it to. And that all starts by you first asking by you first realizing that I want to say this, I want to think this in a way that I would have someone think this about me. And before I say anything, God, is there anything in my life that I see in my brother's life? Now, kind of as the rubber meets the road on this, as you're thinking, as you're using discernment, there's still tons of questions. There's still tons of question marks about, so what, so, so what exactly do I say? So when exactly do I say it? So how exactly do I say it? And who do I say it to? Because let's be honest, there's plenty of people who are Christians. There's plenty of people who would call themselves disciples. Who, if you were to hold accountable to living a godly life in Christ Jesus, would just completely backfire on you because right now they don't want to live anything like Jesus. So what do you do? Because there's still so much gray. Now here's the interesting thing. Jesus, I think, sees that tension and gives us a principle that's universal but has immediate implications and immediate application. So this is what he says, if you've ever felt that. This is what he says if you've ever wondered 
Should I say something or should I not say something? This is what he says if you feel like you should say something, but you don't know what to say, and there's just so much of a lack of clarity in what to say. When you see someone who you see making destructive decisions and is going to go through some unnecessary suffering because of it. This is what he says. Matthew 5, or 7. He says, so ask. Ask. And it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? And this has a ton of different applications, but let me just tell you. When you're thinking about having a conversation, and there's just so little clarity, there's just so little clarity about what, when, who, how, or even if you should, Jesus, this is what I want you to do. I want you to pray. I want you to pray. When you don't have clarity, I want you to pray. When you're unsure, I want you to ask. When you just don't know how to say it, I want you to seek. When you just, I don't know, and how should I, and if I should or not, I want you to pray. And your Father, who knows how to give good gifts on earth, how much more will your heavenly Father provide what you need when you have a lack of clarity on what, when, and how to say something to someone that you love. Jesus says, so ask, seek, knock. Let me, let me tell you what prayer, praying does for me whenever I'm thinking about having a conversation like this. Let me tell you probably the most clarifying idea that I get when I pray, when I'm thinking about I gotta have a conversation, I gotta talk to somebody. For those of you, you know, you, sometimes it's, it's not even in the, it's not even in the church world, you know. I was telling a fellow earlier, you know, I run a manufacturing facility and we have people that do stuff wrong all the time and, you know, this or that happens and behavioral issues and I gotta have conversations and I gotta hold accountable. For people that, you know, in culture, in our society would look and say, you know, less educated, poor life decisions, less than. When I pray, let me just tell you, it helps me to realize, it postures me in a way to know that I am a sinner in need of Jesus just as much as anybody else I will ever talk to. It puts me in a position to realize There is nothing intrinsically super positive about me that I deserve God's grace and God's love. That the only reason I have a right standing with God, the only reason that God would look at me and allow me to spend eternity in His kingdom, allow me to have a relationship with Him, allow the Holy Spirit to reside inside of my heart and inside of my life, isn't because I went to church a hundred times or a thousand times or I just slayed it in the handbell choir when I was a five-year-old. You know, it had nothing to do with my attendance at community group. It had nothing to do with the way that I served in the community. It had nothing to do with any of that stuff. It's only because of the fact that 
that I know that I am a sinner and I am desperately in need of the grace of Jesus Christ that he poured out on the cross when, by the way, he didn't have to. He didn't have to make a way. He was fully God. He was completely God. He was not a needy God. He wouldn't just say, okay, let me just give my son to die on the cross because I need some validation and substantiation because I'm needy. No, no, no. He is God. He didn't have to. He chose to. When he sent his son to die for me on the cross to wipe away all of my sins because I couldn't good myself into God's good graces. Because as good as I am, he's perfect and I am never going to be perfect. And so God looked at me, gave his son to wipe away and to wash away and to be the final sacrifice and the payment for my sin that I couldn't pay. And when I look at somebody who I know that God's calling me to talk to. Not because I'm judging, not because I'm condemning, but because I love them. And I spend time in prayer. Sometimes it's okay, this is what you say. Sometimes this is how you say it. But for me, the most common thing is that God brings me back to the reality that I am just as sinful as the person I'm talking to. And I am just as in need of a Savior, regardless of who that person is. So God says, okay, you are called to judge. You are called to hold accountable, to help make holy, to help avoid suffering, especially as it relates to your brothers and sisters in Christ. But before you do, before you do, I want you to pray. And when you pray, I want you to think about, how would you want someone to talk to you if they were in your position? What would you want someone else to take into consideration if they were in your position? And I don't want you to pause. I don't want you to think for a second. And I want you to pray. God, is there something in my life? Is there something in my life that you see in me that I see in them? And if there is, help me to take that out. Because I do see my brother. I do see my sister. I do see my family. I do see my friend. I do see my coworker. That's about to go through some unnecessary suffering. And I don't want to condemn them. I want to help to restore them. But before I do that, God, let me ask, and let me seek, and let me knock. And as my heavenly Father, please, please, please help me to know what, how, when, and most importantly, the attitude to say it. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine what world the world would be like? Can you imagine how different the church would be? Can you imagine how different the church would be if everyone who considered themselves a disciple lovingly helped other people? Lovingly helped other people in the church to be more holy and to be more fully restored and to be more like Jesus. But to everybody outside of the church was loving and loving and loving and loving. Can you imagine what, yeah, I mean, come on, if you're in here, you're not a Christian, you're on the periphery, you're just unsure, how much differently would you think about Christians if you saw them helping and helping and helping each other, but even though maybe you were nothing like them, even though maybe you valued nothing that they valued, they just loved you and accepted you regardless of the stuff that was going on in your life, regardless of the good decisions or the bad decisions, the junk or the good stuff. They just loved, 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 cared, 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 accepted, 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 and were not judgmental at all.
But once you joined, they helped and they restored. And they had difficult conversations. I mean, come on. Frankly, how much more healthy would churches be? Maybe for the first time, you'd go to a church and you've been to churches before and it just seemed like the closer you got to the church, the closer you got to the core, the closer you got to the leadership, the more dysfunctional and weird and awkward it got and it drove you away from the church. What would it be like if the closer you got to the core and the inside of the church, the more impressive, the more integrity, the more accountable, and the more loving it was? The closer you got to a Christian, you didn't get closer to the life and see tons of holes and tons of hypocrisy. The closer you got to a Christian, you saw integrity and character Complete lack of judgmentalism outside. But a prayerful, humble, contemplative, restorative accountability inside. Chances are, you'd probably think a lot about the church and about Jesus and about Christianity. So come on, imagine. What would that be like? What would that be like? And it's simple. Just simply ask. Simply pray. God, what would I want someone to say if they were looking at my life? Is there something you see in my life that I see in their life? And give me clarity where I don't have clarity. Let me just tell you. My prayer is that God transforms us into that type of church, that type of community, that type of people. That the closer you get, I mean, this is just ultimate dream. The closer you get, the more impressive it is. Not because we're impressive, just because we take the words of Jesus seriously. And that is different. So I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for those of you who are in a situation when you're thinking about someone that you've got to talk to, man, and you just know exactly this. I'm going to pray for you who you know, frankly, some of you in here that maybe someone's going to have a conversation with you. I'm just praying that you're open to it. And I'm praying that they do it in the right way. And I'm just praying that God transforms us into the community. That the closer people get, the more integrity, the more impressive, the more godly it is. Let's pray together.